0: Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. Help me welcome our internet family. Happy Palm Sunday. Glad you're with us. Peace to your house. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, happy Palm Sunday. Um, today marks the beginning of what traditionally is referred to as Holy Week. And um, seriously, the most pivotal, most important week in, in the history of the human race. And um, we want to zero in and get full meaning on Palm Sunday today. Um, there are several days that are sort of set apart this week. Taco Tuesday is not one of them. Enjoyable, but not holy, okay? Um, Start out would be Monday, Thursday. Monday, Thursday. And um, this has to do with the the night that Jesus had uh, the Last Supper with his disciples and he washed their feet. Uh, The word Monday comes to us from the Latin and it means command. And while he was washing their feet, he said this a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And so we kind of mark that. And think about that, if you would, on on Thursday. And then on Friday is Good Friday. Good Friday is the day that we set apart as uh, the day that Jesus was crucified on a cross for our sins. Why do we call it good when he suffered so much? It's because it's the greatest act of good that anyone could ever do. And what he accomplished on the cross. Don't miss this. What he accomplished on the cross for us we're good for it. You know, we are better for what he has done. And then this Saturday is marked as Holy Saturday. And again, just commemorating time that Jesus was, was in the tomb for us. And a lot was going on in that time. And then next, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And that's when the Easter... No, I got mixed up there. <laughs> Easter Sunday, and I was joking. Uh, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from from the dead. Now we're going to have six opportunities this next weekend, three on Saturday and three on Sunday. So three o'clock, five o'clock, seven o'clock, that's p.m. on uh, Saturday that you can come, and then on Sunday nine, eleven, and one uh, next Sunday. Um, plenty of room, plenty of services. Invite folks. There'll be a lot of folks coming, and uh, we're believing for that because this. This is the Super Bowl of Christianity, and uh, come and be here. And We're going to celebrate in grand style and uh, share the message of a resurrected Savior. Uh, Today, though, uh, the beginning of that Holy Week is Palm Sunday, and um, I I want us today to take it a little beyond just what we kind of know uh, instinctively or just traditionally of Palm Sunday. And go a little bit deeper and find kind of the whole idea of what was going on and what was about about to happen. A man named Jesus, who was fully God, came to earth, took on human form, lived a sinless life, and then willingly went to the cross and died for the sins of all mankind. That's the summation of the gospel. He died for the sins of all mankind. Mine and yours. And here's the thing. He knew what he was doing the whole time. He willingly did this. He knew that that was coming. He knew this all along. He was laser focused. That's the best way I can describe it. He's just laser focused the whole time. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He knew he was the remedy of, for sin. And when he came on the scene, so to speak, John the Baptist pointed to him said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And again, just confirming. And he knew that that is why he came. So in between traveling and miracles and teaching and crowds and Pharisees and lepers and uh, people who who Received him and those who resisted him. And between fulfilling prophecy and sometimes shocking onlookers, he knew why he had come. He knew why. Sometimes we fail to see the big picture. So this morning, I want us to kind of zoom out. I think that's so cool on your phone or some of your tablets, just with your fingers, you can kind of do that. So I want to do that to y'all this morning, okay? So. I, I want us to be able to get a, a broader view. Sometimes we do well to back up and see the big picture instead of just staring at one thing uh, and certainly concerning uh, Palm Sunday. Look with me in John chapter 12, Gospel of John chapter 12. said, the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, this is Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, note that, verse 13, they took Branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna. Everybody say, Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written. his Old Testament prophecy. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And this is actually a, a, a big, big deal. This is the first time since the beginning of Jesus' ministry that he has made his way to Jerusalem. I want you to get this in mind at, at the beginning here. He was always headed toward Jerusalem. He always had in mind that, that he was not just this random desert preacher. He had a holy agenda. He had an itinerary set by God. And he was, this was his focus. This was his destination. Now, Jerusalem is considered to be the most holy city. And the temple was there. And um, that temple was destroyed in uh, uh, A.D. 70. There's still a wall that remains. That's the Wailing Wall that, that that is still there. But the temple was the heart of the Jewish worship, the Jewish faith. Jesus is headed there. Plus, it's Passover. So thousands and thousands of pilgrims, as they would be called, fled into the city. So the city is packed. It is overflowing. It is a festival. It is a celebration atmosphere, celebrating Passover. Passover is when the children of Israel were in slavery to Egypt, and God, through signs and wonders and miracles, brought about their deliverance. And the thing that changed everything was Passover, and uh, where the blood of a lamb get get the the symbolism here. The blood, they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of your house, and the death angel would pass over. And so that's where they get Passover. And we know the, the Lamb of God, that was a type and shadow of the Lamb of God, Jesus, um, who did the same for us. But Jesus knew this would be the place, that Jerusalem would be the place. This would be where his life mission would be fulfilled. This is the culmination of everything. This is the plan of God, this fulfillment of prophecy For him to come into Jerusalem, he'd been telling them all along. Everything he taught, everything he did, everything he said was about moving along, moving toward Jerusalem. Look with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 9. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. There's another passage that said he set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. And then in Luke chapter 13, verse 22, it says Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. I want you to have that in mind as as we move along here. He'd been moving toward Jerusalem his whole life. As I said, his life mission would would be fulfilled there. So here we are on Palm Sunday. And this is his triumphal entry into the city. Here we have the king... Entering the city, fulfilling the prophecy, Old Testament prophecies that this is how that would happen. So we've got three groups. I want us to look at everybody that was in Jerusalem on this day. And we really have three groups. First of all, we have the disciples. Everybody say the disciples. These were his followers, his closest followers. Um, They had been with him three, three and a half years. They were with him night and day. They had seen all that he had done. They would heard all that he taught. They didn't fully get it all yet. Um, but they probably, as they were entering the city, um, they would heard Jesus talk about this. They, they probably said, here it is. It's about to happen. And they knew that, hey, the Messiah, the Messiah is about to become king and set up his kingdom. They started to wonder how he may do it because the kingdom he would overthrow would be the Roman Empire. That would be a pretty tall order to overthrow them and you have no weapons they said but wait a minute we we believe he could call down fire from heaven if he needed to we believe he could split the earth open if he needed to they were so convinced that Jesus was about to set up his kingdom that they started to argue among themselves and started to posture for position about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom and who gets to sit next to him in the kingdom even one of their mamas got involved in it. So you've got the disciples and then you have the crowds. And the crowds, their, their thoughts were probably, here he comes, here he comes. His reputation preceded him. They'd heard about miracles. They'd heard about feeding multitudes with virtually nothing. They'd heard his teachings. They'd heard about healings, about blind eyes being opened and the lame walking again and the demon-possessed freed. They'd heard that he raised people from the dead um, There was such a buzz still from just just prior to all of this, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And can you imagine the stir that that caused? Matter of fact, shortly after Lazarus is raised from the dead, they had a banquet to celebrate. You would too. I said, you would too. And they had this banquet, and it said that the religious leaders, just despising Jesus, this was messing up their deal for sure, they plotted how to kill Jesus, but not only how to kill Jesus, we need to knock out Lazarus again too, um, just because it was uh, you know, creating problems for them. So here's the crowd, and they're, they're so intrigued, plus thousands of Jesus' followers are there, so they line the streets, and they're wondering, could, could this be the one that will set us free? They were so burdened and so oppressed with the, under the heavy hand of the Roman government and and they're just wanting freedom, please. And we hear that you talk about setting up a kingdom. Maybe he'll do it now. So you've got the disciples, you've got the crowd, then you have the Pharisees. The Pharisees are these religious leaders, and they are um, well. Don't ever be one. They're so stale and rigid and religious and hateful. They've missed the point entirely. And they're woven in with the political features of the day as well. And their first thoughts are, We gotta stop this. We gotta quiet this down. Because they, first of all, all of this happening that threatened their authority. They envied his popularity. They feared Rome. And they said, We gotta stop this somehow. They they said to Jesus' disciples, his closest, he said, Can't you control your people? And can't you control this, this wandering teacher? And they, they even said this to Jesus. They yelled out to Jesus and said, hey, teacher, can't you make your people be quiet? Because they were shouting Hosanna. Everybody say Hosanna again. Hosanna. Here's what Hosanna means. It's both a praise and an exclamation. It's an exclamation and it's a prayer rather. It, it means this, save we pray. So some are saying, you're the one to save us. And others are saying, please save us. They were shouting Hosanna! There was a roar of the crowd. They said, hey, teacher, can't you make your people be quiet? He said, if I do, these very stones will cry out. So we have all these, these groups, the disciples, the crowd, the, the Pharisees, and each one of them kind of had their own image and idea in their, in their mind of what this was about. But only Jesus really knew what this is about. So I want us to zero in, focus in on what what this really was about. For Jesus, coming to Jerusalem meant one thing, certain death. All of this, everybody's focused on everything else, but Jesus knew what this was about, certain death. He had been born to die. He was coming to Jerusalem just for this, and it wouldn't be a quick, heroic death either. Look with me in uh, Luke chapter 18. And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Look in verse 32. For he, the Son of Man, Jesus is speaking of himself, will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise." They couldn't all contain all of that at, that at that moment. But this was not going to be this quick, heroic death. This was going to be horrible. To say that Jesus died on a cross hardly describes it. Hardly describes it. Historians say that it is, crucifixion is the least dignified, most horrible form of death. Worse than burning. It's where we get our word excruciating. The goal is not just death. The goal is not just suffering. The goal is total humiliation... And the goal is total overkill. Josephus, the first century historian, said this of crucifixion. He said, it's the most wretched form of death. Cicero, a Roman philosopher, said this. It is not to be discussed among civilized people. It's horrible. It's obscene. It's grotesque, crucifixion. Yet, we must talk about the cross. Any emblem, any form of the cross that we have is highly sanitized. We're not trying to reproduce what happened on there. We're, we're trying to raise an emblem, a symbol for us. We have a big cross there, front and center. We've got a big cross out front and a big cross out back. Because I want you, every time that you come and go, to be reminded. To be reminded again of what Jesus did for us. And that's what he went to Jerusalem to do as I said earlier, is to die upon that, upon that cross. The cross and the message of the cross are offensive. Yet the message of the cross, now zero in with me, the message of the cross, the, the reality that Jesus was crucified on a cross for my sins and your sins, that is the centerpiece of the gospel. That is the hinge pin of the whole plan of God. So we must preach the cross, we must talk about the cross. It's uncomfortable to think about, but we're so grateful that it happened for us when we understand what would indeed happened on the cross. The cross must be preached and the crosses, cross is the emblem. It's the symbol of our faith. We don't worship a cross, but it reminds us of thee, as I said, the centerpiece of God's plan and of the gospel. And so we're thankful for the cross and we must preach the cross. Amen? Amen? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Christ died for us. Christ died for me. Christ died for you. It is what is called in theology substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. The word atonement really means to make right, to make whole again, Um, at one, to put back together. But notice substitutionary, we can gain from that, we understand the idea of substitute. So in a baseball game or a football game, we're going to put in a substitute. What does that mean? That means that someone else is going to come in and take your place. And so what we're dealing with here is you and I have sinned. All mankind has sinned. There's only one without sin. And he was the sinless one who was the only one qualified to go to the cross where it would make any difference at all. And so all of us have sinned. That sin demands payment. That sin brings shame. That sin evokes the the wrath of God somebody's got to take care of that and guess what you couldn't I couldn't all of us together we can't we could even get congress in on it let's don't there's only one solution and it's the lamb of God the plan of God was set from before the foundation of the world he knew what would happen because he's God And he set this plan in motion and prophecy foretold it. And things pointed to it. Now Jesus comes on the earth, clothes himself with flesh, lives a sinless life and beelines it. Face set like a flint going to Jerusalem because he's the one that can take our place. And it's important that we understand that today that he's the only one that could take our sin. He's the only one that could absorb the wrath of God. He's the only one that could do this and make this right and yet come back and rise again. In John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is on the cross and it says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, and let me back up just a moment, he's on the cross and as prophesied, he said, I thirst. He said it with a loud voice. He said, I thirst. And they gave him a sour wine or a vinegar type of substance on a sponge kind of thing and uh, certainly not to quench his thirst. They, w- they were not about to give any kind of relief. It was just a further mock and to fur- further cause him to suffer. So when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Everybody say, it is finished. it is finished. And look, and then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He died at that point on the cross, on the cross. Everyone present there understood what he said. Matter of fact, they understood better than what we do because of the wording. Um, We catch it is finished. We get most of the idea. But what they heard, what they understood, uh, it is finished. That Greek word is tetelestai, tetelestai. And it's actually an accounting term. And it means this. You ready? It means this, paid in full. Paid in full. Archaeologists have actually found um, title deeds, land deeds, tax receipts with this written on there, teteleste. So paid in full. So do you know what Jesus said? Paid in full. What's paid in full? Your debt. My debt, the penalty that, that we, should, we should take, but we can't. He did that, paid in full. So in a moment where it looked like it was about to be certain defeat, look, he died. But what did he say just before the clock ran out? He said, paid in full. Say it with me. Paid in full. That's why he went to Jerusalem. That's why he went to the cross. Can we thank God for that this morning? I hope you're getting that. He he did this for you. He did this for me. He did this for for the sin of all mankind. He took your sin, my sin, our shame, the pain, the penalty, and he was our substitute all because of love. Jesus set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem, full well knowing what would happen there, certain death. But he wasn't dying just to die. And stay with me in this last moment here. He wasn't dying just to die. And his death was not the end. He didn't just come to town to die. He didn't just live his life just to die. It's not just about that. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the, note this, who for the joy that was set before him. There was a joy. Everybody say joy. Joy. For the joy that was out ahead of him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Also statement of it is finished. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he, Jesus, was, come on, wounded, For our transgressions, get this, wounded actually has to do with outward. There's something outward. He was wounded for our, for our what? Our transgressions. That's our outward actions. That's our outward sin. Notice then he was bruised. Everybody say bruised. Bruised Bruised for what? For our iniquities. Bruised is inward. Guess what? We don't just have outward sin, we have inward sin. I said we also have inward sin. Sometimes you can behave yourself outwardly, but inside it can be a cesspool. You can have bad attitudes and ugly thoughts and and all kinds of vile things can be in our hearts and in our minds. And we must be cleansed of those things. And he was bruised to cleanse us on the inside. He was wounded to, to cleanse us from the outside. He was bruised to help us on the inside. And the chastisement, the punishment necessary for our peace... Was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. In this passage, we see that he took care of us to make us whole again, spirit, soul, and body. But I want you to notice something. He was wounded for what? For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Here's what it's about He didn't just die to die. He died for us. All of this was for us. The joy that was set before him, don't miss this, as he entered in on Palm Sunday, everybody say "Palm Palm Sunday. It's not just about waving palm branches. It's not just about shouting Hosanna. Jesus heard all of that, saw all of that. The crowds, the Pharisees, the people cheering him on, the people mocking him, going through all of that like a gauntlet the trial that he would face, the false arrest that he would go through, the shame, the scourging, the punishment, the death on the cross. Here's what Jesus did. He just saw it as a tunnel to go through. He endured the cross. He ignored the shame. He went through all of the pain. He went through all of those things because he had a joy that was set before him. Sometimes you drive the long drive and go through all that you go through to get to grandma's house. Are you seeing what I'm saying? You have a destination in mind. You have something planned that you've got to get to. Are you with me? Bob your head if you're with me. Well, on a high level, much higher level, Jesus looking ahead, he saw, he heard, he felt, but what kept him going was a joy that was set before him. And the joy that was before him was this: I must go to the cross. I must get rid of their. I, I have to pay off their debt. I have to forgive them of their sin. I have to make them right with God. The joy that was before Him was the result of the cross that He's able now to see you have His hope, have His help, have His wholeness to come to your life. That's what gives Him joy. He saw you. He saw me in our brokenness, our families, our marriages, our addictions, our brokenness, our our, our divorce, whatever it would be. Fill in the blank. He looked ahead. The joy for him was to take care of the curse of sin so that he could bring his wholeness and his help to his people. That's why he did what he did. So on, so on Palm Sunday, you know, yeah, palm branches. And yeah, Hosanna. Say it again, Hosanna. And now we can see him entering Jerusalem and we can say, Hosanna. now we can say, yeah, he's the one. And it's not about setting up a little earthly kingdom. It's not about overthrowing anybody. He, I want you to know it, the whole time. His whole life, through all the prophecy before, his his earthly life. And now focused in his mind everything he was about. I must get to Jerusalem. Why? Because there's going to be a Jesus parade? No, because I've got to get to the cross. Because there's no one else. There never will be anyone else. There never has been anyone else that can go and be the Lamb of God to take the way, the sins of the world. And he came and he did that for me. He did that for you. And that is why we celebrate Palm Sunday. There's an old song. What was that? There's an old song that says when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I'm thankful today. That he did what he did. I pray that today as you celebrate Palm Sunday, I pray that you'll realize it's much more than the parade. It's much more than the palm branches. It's what Jesus was face set like a flint. I love that, that he was going to take care of business so that you and I could have a meaningful life, have the power to live it, and one day have a home in heaven forever. Amen? Amen. Did you get anything at all out of this? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ocala.